Hi, my name is Pete Scazzera. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our topic today is why we must learn to grieve to ever address racial injustice. Why we must learn to grieve if we're ever going to address racial injustice. So not only has the coronavirus pandemic unleashed a a fundamental reshaping of life, uh, so the issue of racial injustice brought to a head by the video killing of George Floyd has, you know, just the brutality and insanity of that has been really a tipping point, not just here for the United States, but but around the world. And, And everyone's talking about now the issue of systemic racism, racial injustice, and it's really been an explosion. And uh, it's led into a season uh, of grief and, and loss. It's a huge season of grief and loss. And we see this in the outrage and the protests all around us. Now, loss and grief is a fundamental theme of all of life, uh, from death to divorces, to illnesses, to disappointments, to dreams dashed. And and whenever there's a grief and a loss, if we don't take the sufficient time to grieve and the wound closes too quickly, uh, it gets infected and it never actually heals. And that is never more the case in something as we're dealing with something as large as racial injustice. So in talking with pastors and leaders and churches, uh, a number of core discipleship biblical truths uh, must be lived deeply in us if we're ever going to hope to move forward. And one of those is learning to grieve. Now, the Bible's approach to grief and loss is radically different in the world. We're going to talk about today a very mature teaching. This is, as Hebrews 5 says, a solid food for the mature. Uh, This is not milk, but this, uh, this present reality that we're living in requires a depth of discipleship uh, for us in the church. Now, let me confess at the outset, I don't like grieving. I don't like losses. I don't welcome them. I'm a street fighter. As one fellow said, "My Pete, your, your, your spirituality is a street fighter spirituality. And I, there's truth in that. I, I'd rather fight than let go. Uh, I'd rather ignore pain, medicate, go along as business as usual. But uh, there is a purpose, a wonderful, deep purpose in suffering, actually, great meaning in suffering if we'll wait on God with it. And so when we talk about racial injustice that we're presently in, in, you know, confronting head on uh, in this country in particular, we're talking about a lifelong shift and work. And so we've got to learn to grieve. Uh, if we're ever going to move forward on this. And so, so many things happen in the midst of grief and loss on so many levels. I mean, God gives us a revelation of himself. We, Our hearts grow in our ability to, to see how incomprehensible God is, how infinite, how inexhaustible, how perfect he is. And much like Jeremiah in the midst of the fall of uh, Jerusalem to the Babylonians, he discovered a depth of God uh, that could only have come in that level of suffering and we actually become softer and more compassionate when we when we when we grieve it, it, as henry allen has said to the degree that we grieve our own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of the compassion we can offer other people uh so we actually are changed and become loving and more softer through grief and then we actually get a revelation of ourselves the extent to which our self-will is so embedded in us control and uh, sorrow enlarges our capacity to wait and surrender on him. And we, we enable, by the grace of God, to detach 
uh, so God can fill us. We are emptied so he can fill us with his birthing in life and masks are ripped away from us that we wear and we become more of our true selves in Christ. But perhaps more than all of this, uh, through grief and loss, um, God's intention of building the church into a worldwide, a multiracial, multicultural family that transcends nation and social racial barriers, economic barriers, actually comes to fruition. That is God's plan for the church. And uh, racism and prejudice was a huge issue in the first century, has been all through history, but we see the gospel melting down barriers of centuries. And the early church understood uh, one of their central tasks was through the gospel to break down walls of hostility uh, and hatred through the blood of Jesus that has destroyed the barrier and created a new human race called the church, a new society, a new people. And, and we, as Revelation lays out so clearly, the book of Revelation, we offer an extraordinary contribution. We're, we're, we're destined, we're supposed to offer an extraordinary contribution uh, to the world. And that is that God has uh, put his traces of his image into every culture in the world. And they're meant to be celebrated as gifts offered to him for his glory. Uh, and the gospel doesn't obliterate cultures, uh, but he actually celebrates, celebrates the gifts of them. And so, uh, yes, every culture is broken, but there are gifts there in it. And, and we are the body of Christ. And I love in Revelation where it says the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the into it, the city, the new city of God coming down from heaven. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And and uh, it's a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be. And, and we see in, in Revelation this great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. That That is that is God's uh, calling for us and that the powers and principalities, Ephesians 3.10, will be driven back by the reality of this church that actually bridges race, cultural, gender, and economic barriers. So, so that is our calling. We've got an incredible gift to bring, bring the world. However, we are not leading the world in this as God intends. So, I, I would never have, but I would never have been so enriched like I have been if it hadn't been for um, all my decades and, and being part of a community like New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, uh, and having been engaged in this bridging of barriers and and uh, the struggle of racism and emotionally healthy discipleship uh and this is the emotionally healthy leader podcast has uh, as the whole theology that that is presented in the discipleship of eh discipleship is was born and birthed out of the struggle uh, of racism and uh, i've had more than one African-American church say to me, is this EH discipleship a black thing? And the answer is, of course not. It's just very relevant because that's what we were struggling with, recognizing that the discipleship we do, at least in the American church, uh, is just so shallow. It doesn't really address the deep issues in our lives. And so therefore, racism just perpetuates itself from generation to generation. And so, uh, so, so what I want to talk to you today is specifically around grief and loss. And let me just make one comment before I go into this. Uh, how we actually learn and change things. We tend to think about learning something in one of two ways. I know something or I don't know something. Uh, but really, learning is a more of a, uh, a continuum. And Benjamin Bloom, who's a great educational psychologist, developed this, this taxonomy of how we learn. And it's been adapted many times over the last 60 years. It's used in educational systems around the world, but it's very helpful. Uh, and and it, he breaks it down. This is my adaptation of his work to make it simpler. Uh, and it's actually found in the EH Leader book, which is 
when you think about I, 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 I care about racism, I'm, I'm going to learn about racism and uh, I'm going to get it. And he actually, so here, here's the five categories and just think of yourself on this. You know, the first category he writes is, is awareness. Oh yeah, racism, it's going on right now. That's really important. So I become aware of it. I began to read about it. Then the second level of growing in it is I actually ponder it. Uh, I'm really thinking about it. I'm having conversations about it. Help me understand more about racism. I'm listening to tapes, YouTube, reading books. But then you move along in your learning, you get to a place where you actually value it. Like, oh my gosh, this is really important. Uh, the issue of racial injustice, everybody who's a follower of Jesus needs to address this. And, and, and you're just like totally committed to it. You're speaking about it. You're writing about it. Uh, but you're only at level three of, of five levels. Uh, but he says the big shift is from, from the third to the fourth level of learning something. That is, the fourth is you actually prioritize your life around that value. That is, you shift your entire life around the issue of racism, where you live, perhaps like the way you're leading your church, uh, your priorities, your time, your energy, your money, your friendships, the way you're raising your kids. I mean, because now it's affecting, you're prioritizing your whole life differently. But then it's actually a level above that, which is the highest level of learning, which is you actually, you've learned on such a level, you own it. Now, all your decisions, all your actions are based on this new value. Uh, every day, uh, you move from prioritizing to owning it. And that takes years. Uh, I, I, I would, you know, years, uh, five, six, seven, eight, ten years to own something where it's just in your bones. So uh, my prayer and hope is that we're going to learn this thing, okay, and, and deeply my prayer for you. So Let's now move into this issue of grief and loss and why we must learn it, okay? The first is this, embracing grief and loss enables us to actually feel the suffering of others. I'm deeply concerned because I talk to, as I'm talking to pastors and leaders, uh, even now about this issue because you know, everyone's getting on our webinars and podcasts and they don't do feelings. Uh, and our people don't do feelings. We don't disciple people in feelings. And so, as I said to one pastor this past week, your, your spouse is lonely because you don't feel with her because you're numb emotionally. How are you going to do racial reconciliation? Uh, something so large as that, such as large as this. You're, you're, in other words, your discipleship is so limited. Um, and, and so embracing grief and loss is so critical because it's going to enable you to actually feel the pain of those who are different than you. Uh, and again, I was doing racial reconciliation for years, and my wife, Jerry, felt lonely. It was such a contradiction because I didn't know how to feel. Uh, and again, that came out of my genogram. It came out of my culture as an Italian-American. It came out of being a, a male, the way men were uh, socialized growing up. And it also came out of a very bad theology uh, around sadness. And I was part of the culture, you know, like, not just the broader culture, the religious culture, which is don't feel, don't talk about uh, things like sadness, numb your pain, get busy, uh, stay in control. And uh, and so if you're sad, you know, don't go to church. Uh, good Christians don't get hurt or confused or sad. Uh, they don't fall on their faces like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, especially leaders. Uh, and the truth is, however, we do. And we see that in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see him laying on his face before the Father, deeply sorrowful. He gets it out. He's, he's depressed, it says. He, you know, basically, I feel so bad I could die. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting because the early church history, there was a lot of controversy about the Garden of Gethsemane because the early heretics did not want to accept that God was fully human. Uh, and they rejected this passage. They didn't like the human, fleshly, struggling Gethsemane Jesus. Uh, I like what Origen wrote. He said, Jesus only began to be sorrowful. His Godhead restrained him from consummating the emotion. Again, that's just not, that's heresy. 
you know, Jesus did not in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was in sorrow. He didn't say, well, we're headed for a tough time. I'm going to die, everybody. But God's on the throne and there's a resurrection coming. Watch out. Be strong. You know, he didn't come to the tomb of Lazarus and say, let's go. Let's get on with it up from the dead. You know, he didn't uh, go to Jerusalem uh, and instead of weeping, he didn't say, I long to gather you. But you know what? It's your loss. Uh, on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise him, you know, which we would have thought a victorious statement. Uh, we may detach and get disconnected from losses by getting busy and going on, you know, social media, keeping up the momentum, uh, holding things together, uh, trying to be superheroes, uh, even more than Jesus. Uh, you know, we're we, we like charging a light brigade in the Alamo, uh, you know, but but that, that's how we do it. And, and uh, because we're so afraid if I actually let myself feel sorrow and pain, I'll, I'll be overwhelmed by it. But he says, no, 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 no. This is this is the pathway, you know, to growing up. And it's a pathway to actually feel other people's feelings. And and when Jesus says, if it's possible, Father, let this cup fast for me. Well, you know, the father said no. And, and he models for us what it means to be human. He feels his sorrow. Uh, and I love when Oscar Wilde said it this way, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. And, and so as you find that, that when we get into issues of, of racial injustice, it is it is incredibly sad. Uh, and it is just, it is so tragic. It's overwhelming. And, you know, I love Kubler-Ross's five stages of response to, to death, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. We got to feel it before we come to a place of acceptance and meaning. And uh, racial injustice is an agony. Uh, just listening to stories, uh, reading history, it is painful. And part of our work as followers of Jesus is to feel that pain. How can I feel your feelings if I don't feel my own? It is a massive problem in the church, and it comes out of a very bad theology. All right, number two. Embracing grief and loss enables us to engage in the life work of racial, of combating racial injustice in our history. That embracing this enables us to engage in that life work of, of fighting racial injustice in our history. Again, I, I'd rather not know, like many of you, you know, when you, you know, this is a lifelong study or reading and studying and learning everything from the slave trade going back to before the Mayflower 400 years ago, all the way through, you know, slavery for a couple hundred years into the Civil War and then Reconstruction and Jim Crow into the 1960s and then civil rights. I mean, it's just a, it's such a painful history. And then you read of just individuals and the church responses and, oh, it's just painful. And then you, you get into systemic racism and structures like housing and health and education and corp, you know, the corporate world and the law enforcement system and entertainment, and employment and the church. And, oh, Lord, if you've ever been to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C., I mean, it's just an incredible place. And uh, you, you end up and you, you, you can't help but grieve, you know, and I uh, uh, but it's so important because that outrage, that loss does something inside of us to propel us by the grace of God to do something. That's why outrage is actually an expression of grief and protesting can be, a, you know, without looting and violence can be such a healthy uh, form of lament and, and, and grief. Uh, in fact, last week's podcast, I talked about generational racism and using the genogram to see and slay it and how 
you've got to look at history and, and the multi-generational transmission of trauma. Uh, a lot of work's been done on this in places like Harvard on the Holocaust and how survivors at a second, third generation carry trauma as if they were in the concentration camps. And uh, so I talked about that last week and, and I want to encourage you again this week to do a genogram of your family of origin uh, and, and not just do it for your own genogram, for yourself and your own life and how your past impacts your present individually in your discipleship, but as well to consider the genogram of American history. Some of you are listening, you're from Europe or Asia or Africa. Same thing, you do a genogram of your racial history as well. Um, in order to then say what, what needs to be broken here for the sake of the gospel and Jesus and, and the church. And so, again, we have some team transformational videos that they're free on our website. You can go there and learn how to do that and go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And you'll want to do the team transformational exercise called Explore Your Genogram. There's a free workbook that goes with it. And it's our gift to you because we've it, it, it's critical do you just kind of do this kind of serious work but remember the truth sets you free but it first makes you miserable that's from sandra wilson quote and uh, so it's important that we embrace grief and loss because it gives us the grace and the power to sustain staying in this thing uh you know here's a couple just even as you do that even as you do this kind of work i mean just think about this for a moment and this is from a book by uh robin d'angelo called white fragility and these, these are statistics from the year 2016, 2017. Uh, just to give you a sense of, again, when you study the, the work historically of racial injustice, it just, it, 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 if you allow it to go into you, will lead you to grief, which hopefully by, will, will, by the grace of God, if you do God's pathway in it by waiting on him and letting it birth something new, uh, it will bring about change in you and shift the course of your life. But it, begin, it does begin with grieving and actually feeling it. But these are numbers from the year 2016, 2017. She writes this, and these are all statistically you know, laid out with footnotes in, in her book. She goes, the 10 richest Americans, 100% white, seven of whom are the 10 richest in the world. U.S. Congress, 90% white. U.S. governors, 96% white. 10 to top military advisors, 100% white. The president and vice president, 100% white. The U.S. House Freedom Caucus, 99% white. The current U.S. presidential cabinet, 91% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white. People who decide which books we read, 90% white. People who decide which news is covered, 85% white. People who decide which music is produced, 95% white. People who directed the 100 top grossing films of all time, 95% uh, white worldwide. Teachers, 82% white. Full-time college professors, 84% white. Owners of men's professional football teams, 97% white. Now, these groups are listed are the most powerful in, in the country. These aren't minor organizations, and they aren't good versus bad people. They just represent power and control uh, by one group, one racial group. And so, again, as we dive into embracing grief and loss, we're confronted with certain realities. But we believe in God. We, we serve a living God who sits on the throne. And we have this certainty of hope of God who will bring a new heaven and a new earth and will bring a full moment of justice to all the earth in every issue uh, one day. I've been meditating on the book of Habakkuk. It's been wonderful. I can't seem to get out of it. Uh, because it's so so applicable to our times, it probably will be a 
future podcast. Let me move on here to my third of fourth reasons of why learning to grieve uh, our losses is so critical uh, around this issue of racial reconciliation because thirdly, it enables us actually to truly mature in Jesus. Uh, it is the pathway to really grow up. It says, of, it says of Jesus that although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That's Hebrews 5, 7. In other words, Jesus didn't automatically do obedience. It, it says he learned it. Uh, and we see that in Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we see him struggling. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He prays the same thing three times. Uh, he didn't just automatically snap his fingers and do obedience. He learned it. Uh, and we learned such a good lesson here from Jesus, an important lesson that a, a, a struggling, learned, prayed for obedience is true obedience. And that process can be severe uh, because it breaks our self-will. It le brings us to a place of deep love and letting go that God is good. His love endures forever, even though I don't understand it. And you know, you know, Job's three friends didn't do that for Job. Uh, Jesus' friends didn't do that for him. Uh, he wanted human companionship in the process, uh, but deep grieving, um, it, 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 it grows us up. It, this, is, this is part of God's gift to the church to mature. Uh, the, the, there's a shaking going on right now globally uh, in, in three big ways. Our coronavirus, uh, the global recession we're in, and we're going to be in for a while. And then thirdly, this issue of racial injustice coming to the forefront and an explosion of protests um, and shaking the church and revealing uh, her racism, revealing her complicity, her, her focus on individuality, her ignor ignoring of the problem over, over centuries and years and uh, concern about numbers and growth. And, and so, but there's a gift in this because God is seeking to grow us up. And actually, one of the great lessons of the Garden of Gethsemane and observing Jesus grieving is we realize prayer is the center of discipleship. Jesus shows us that prayer is indispensable if we're going to grieve well. He does it before the Father. He's dependent on the Father. And if he needed to pray in the midst of his grief, how much more do we? And he prays, my Father, Abba, Father. And so do we. There's a final gift if we can embrace grief and loss for all of us, uh, and that Embracing grief and loss keeps us vulnerable. It just it keeps us weak uh, with one another. You know, the word vulnerability comes from the root to wound. We're, we're wounded, and we see that in David, a man after God's a man after God's own heart. When he commits adultery with Bathsheba, he murders her husband. But he doesn't. He doesn't. When he finally comes clean, we see him grieving. Uh, you know his loss. Uh, he writes Psalm fifty-one. He doesn't erase his sin from the history books but he records it in 2 Samuel 12. So we all could read it centuries later. And he writes this song in Psalm 51 to be sing, sung in all the churches that, oh Lord, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so we embrace our grief and losses. It, 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 it makes us vulnerable. It, it makes us weak. Uh, and that is so critical for us to be the body of Christ, to be loving people. I mean, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he boasts in his weakness, uh, not his strengths, uh, over and against the super apostles of, of Corinthians. But that was his badge of ministry. It wasn't a badge of ministry. It was not his revelation, his miracles, his anointing, his apostleship was based on weakness and his vulnerability because he knew that's the way that Christ's power rests in him. And so when we enter and learn to grieve, 
uh, we actually move from being proud and defensive uh, to being weak and vulnerable. And if any place you begin to see defensiveness, it's when we start talking about racial uh, injustice. So we want to, by the grace of God, move from being, we want to move from being guarded and protective to be open and transparent. We want to move from being offendable and defensive to approachable and teachable. We want to move from being people who are always noticing the flaws and mistakes and failures of others to a place where we can share easily about our own flaws and mistakes and failures. We want to move from being people who give our opinion all the time to being slow to speak and quick to listen. We want to move by the grace of God to to not letting people see our sadnesses and fears and struggles, to actually sharing our sadnesses and fears and struggles. We want to move from being in control of most situations and always giving advice to actually letting go of control uh, and not doing for other people what they can and should do for themselves. We want to we want to move from being from holding grudges and not asking forgiveness to asking asking for forgiveness easily and letting go of hurts. And we want to move from being people who don't ask for input and constructive criticism to invite people to give us critique and feedback. And we want to move from being, from being, from not saying, from being, being, oh, uh, not saying I don't know to actually finding it easy to ask for help and saying, no, I don't know about that. So, so again, I'll talk about just a second here as we close, how do you, how do I actually do this grief and loss? But I, you, you need to hear this, why we must learn to grieve biblically. Uh, and wait on the Lord with those grief and losses and then let him birth something new out of it because it enables us to feel the suffering of others. We can enter their feelings. Number two, we can actually engage in this life work of learning the history of racial injustice, which takes something profound. Uh, it also enables us to truly mature in Jesus. And then finally, it, it, it keeps us vulnerable. It keeps us weak. So how do I do it? You know, how do I... You know, what do I do? Well, and it's probably the biggest question I'm getting is, how do I grow in this? How do I help others? Well, I've got two steps for you. One is you want to read books, watch movies, uh, you know, look at some YouTube things, talk with people, be curious. Uh, you know, there's so many excellent books out there and uh, stuff on YouTube. And uh, I just finished reading a book called Rediscipling the White Church by David Swanson. It just came out. Fascinating. You know, it's great. And there's uh, great opportunities to, to mature in this. So... Uh, and, and I want to encourage you to do that genogram that I mentioned earlier. Uh, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, and look at your own family history. In general, the three to four generational impact your family and your culture has had on you, because uh, sin lives in our bones. And then do it on a level of, as well, uh, on racism. Uh, and remember, Jesus is alive. There's great hope in the resurrection. And uh, we don't go down to a place of a hole in the ground. Biblical grieving is I hold on to God who's on the throne. My hope is in him. And then I want to also invite you to do journal journal and feeling workouts, uh, especially if you're a person who struggles with your feelings. And uh, but I'm doing this regardless. I'm you know I, I have learned to feel uh, in my whole journey, uh, and uh, but I'm journaling my feelings on a regular basis. As you watch news and read stories and uh, hear things, and and it's just there's a lot of things to grieve, and and begin to integrate into your time with God, journaling. What's going on inside of me? And your muscles may be very weak in feeling, but you want to exercise those feeling muscles so you can, again, grow and mature and be transformed and then become, by God's grace, a, a person who in your context can take some steps 
in your following of Jesus uh, to address some of the injustices around you regarding racial injustice and uh, and join with a larger whole and build the church into being what God intends, which is, which is a multiracial, multicultural uh, community which transcends culture and country and class and gender, etc. So, in fact, this week, if you're interested, I'm doing a podcast. If you're listening to this uh, in this couple of week period that I'm doing this in June of 2020, uh, I'm just doing a Q&A around the topic of getting beneath the surface of racism in your life and church. And it's really an hour of question and answer dedicated to answering questions, specific questions on these uncertain days in your life and leadership and doing it at 4 p.m. on Thursdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can go to our website at emotionallyhealthy.org and check that out. You're welcome to send in questions in advance and uh, I'll address them. I did it last week for the first time and I I could not believe how many questions I received in advance and during the webinar. Uh, And so, yeah, you're invited to come. It'd be great to have you. So uh, as Habakkuk 1.5 says, the Lord says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Habakkuk 1.5 reads, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. If someone told you six months ago that what has happened in the world, the whole world shutting down around a pandemic, uh, the racial explosion, I mean, it's happened, the awareness of racial injustice in the world happening, uh, who could have ever imagined? And then a global recession, not just in one part of the world or in one country, the entire world's in a recession. Who would have ever imagined that six months ago? And I love what Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself with the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So I pray that you might wait on the Lord and allow him to speak as you hold before him the current events happening around us uh, and discern what is God doing. And I assure you, he is doing something. And may we all join him in that process that the name of Jesus uh, may fill the earth uh, with his glory. God bless you, everybody. Thank you so much for being with me in the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. I look forward to being with you next week. Take care.